Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. How many of you are hungry? Thanks, Tony. Chef Tony getting us all hungry. Nobody's going to hear anything I say this whole day. I bet you all going to the Olive Garden after we get done, though, aren't you? (laughs) It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, Welcome. Uh, the Trinity Community Church. I'm Pastor TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, as you can tell, we're doing something a little unique this morning. Um, before we do that, um, those of you know, uh, our, our world is in crisis right now. And um, even in the midst of crisis, I've got good news for you today. The church, empowered by the Spirit, is still the strongest entity on this planet. There's no military force. There's no crazy people. The church is still the hope of the world. God left the church, gave us the keys. The world's in our hands. And today, we're going to use our weapons to push back the forces of darkness. We're going to pray. Uh, So do me a favor. Bow your heads with me. Lord, right now we pray for peace in our world. We pray that, Father, you would uh, intervene in the Ukraine right now. Lord, we pray that, Father... Uh, your angels would push back the darkness, the dark forces that are at work right now, Lord God, to, uh, to, to shift things and to mess things up, Lord God. Father, we pray that, God, you would push those things back in the name of Jesus. Lord, you told us, Father, that uh, to pray for peace in our world, Lord God. So, Father, right now we pray for all of the world leaders. We pray that, God, that you would give them wisdom and understanding, Lord God, to make choices, Father, that are in alignment with your heart. And God, this morning we pray for the people of of Ukraine, Lord God. We pray that, God, you would give them peace. Father, we stand with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now, Lord God, as they pray even in this morning, Lord God. Father, we pray that, God, you would hear their prayers, you would hear our prayers, God, and, Father, you would stop the violence and you would bring peace. Lord, we believe. You told us in your word that, Father, if we ask anything in your name, that, God, it's done. So, Father, we ask that today. Father, we pray that uh, there would be a, a healing and a restoration that happens not just in that region, but in our world. So, Father, would you do that in your name? Everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. Um, I love that phrase, all are welcomed at the table. It's important for us to understand, beloved, how we're supposed to be as a church, how we're supposed to be interconnected. Um, we had something crazy happen this week. Um, actually, it was about 10 days ago now. Uh, as you guys know, we own the, uh, the restaurant called The Well, the church does. And The Well, just like anything else, has got technology. Our office is there and everything great. Have you ever had issues with technology? Have you ever had to get on the phone with tech support? So we're there and we're talking to tech support because our internet's not working. So, um, you know, we look around for the most tech-savvy person they could find and somehow they land on me. So the first thing that we did as we're talking to Verizon is we apologize because basically trained monkeys have a better chance of figuring this out more than I do. So I'm on the phone with Verizon and they're talking about, you know, the little, the internet thingy, the modem thingy. Is that the correct terminology? The thingy. We're talking about it. How many of you have a little modem at your house for the internet? You know, stuff like that. So the lady is walking me through the reset procedures to, to get this modem reset so that we can have phones and internet and everything great. So as we're on tech support, she's talking to me. She's like, Mr. You know, Mr. Harris, do you see the line coming out of the thing? It's a little line. And I look and go, ma'am, there's no line connected to this thing. She goes, well, that, that's your problem right there. And I'm like, well, there's no line around here at all. I don't understand. And, and she's trying to walk me through this, this 
this complex process on resetting our IT stuff. Dave's behind me. He's sweating a little bit because everything's down right now at the well. You can't buy cheesesteaks. You can't do anything. The, the whole day of the well, every cheesesteak, every, every french fry rests on my shoulders. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. So finally, I'm messing with this thing for 20 minutes, and I don't know what's going on. I have a call to one of our tech guys. Finally, one of the tech guys calls back. And I told him, I said, I said, Brian, he said, I don't know what's going on. This lady's on the phone, and, and I'm messing with this thing, and everything she says I should have, I don't have. No, it's not doing anything it's supposed to, and I, this is just nuts, and I don't know what the problem is. And Brian goes, I know what the problem is. I go, what? He goes, that thing that you're messing with isn't connected to anything. I said, what do you mean? He said, we moved the stuff that works upstairs. <laughs> True story. I said, so let me get this right. I've been messing with something for 20 minutes, that's connected to nothing. He said, yes. I said, why is it still plugged in? Why is it blinking? He goes, I don't know. You should unplug that. Ah! <laughs> you think? I go upstairs to the thing that's connected. I hit one button. It comes right on. And everybody cheers. Cheesesteaks are flowing. It's beautiful. It's like a Disney movie. You know what I mean? How many of you know that's important that uh, you need to be connected? Whether it's your internet connection, whether it's your spiritual connection with, with, with Christ, you need to be connected. If you're not connected to the vine, you're going to die. You're not going to know God's heart. So over the last month, we've been talking about what it means to love like Jesus. And, you know, just to give you a little synopsis of where we've been, we started off by understanding, because we're connected to God, that Jesus loves sinners. How many of you in this room sin? That we have a 100% vote. And we talked about this, this phrase that you see on the screens. In order to love like Jesus, you have to be loved by Jesus. What does that mean? You have to be able to walk in forgiveness. You have to be able to receive forgiveness from God, and then you can pass that forgiveness along. And then we moved along, and we talked about how Jesus, again, has a heart to heal us. The God that we serve is good. And his heart is that he heals us emotionally. He heals us physically, and we prayed for God to heal people, and God did heal people, and it was beautiful. And then last week, we talked about the power of serving, the towel in the basin, how if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be a servant. Well, today we kind of put a cherry on top of the Sunday, and we finish with something that is very close to my heart, food. How many of you love to eat? So for some of you, this table may look a little familiar. Now maybe, in, I don't know about you guys, but in my house, we've had tables of this size actually greater than this. Uh, inviting people to the house. How many of you remember big meals? Maybe you had big meals as a, as a family member. Um, I remember, um, it, again, it was beautiful, you know, growing up, you know, being, being ethnic, being Greek, and you know, we'd have these epic meals where the whole Greek family would show up. Uh, this is actually, if you go to the next slide real quick, actually go back one, I think. One right before this? There you go. There, right there, that is my, my Aunt Mimi. Um, we affectionately call her Kukuyaya. You don't have to speak Greek to know what that means. It's crazy grandma. This is some of the food that they, that they just displayed, some of it, just a very small gathering. When my father came to live with us, they gave my father a going away party. And my, my, my kukuyaya and my, my godmother both came to me, his sisters, and they said, this is a going away party for your father. Do not bring him back. We don't want him back here. 
And there was about 50 of us there, and the feasting was there, and we had lamb, and we had baklava, and we had spanakopita, and we had the domales, and all the stuff that you could possibly imagine. Everything that a, a chunky Greek boy loves, we had that and then some. There was something beautiful about, about the meals, about the feasts. I remember growing up as a kid, we would find any reason we could to sit down and eat. And the entire night was beautiful. Every part of it was beautiful, actually. The planning was beautiful. I remember going to my Aunt Chris's house, and you'd start to have all the smells in the air, the lamb cooking and all the stuff. Um, there's the, the, the anticipation of all the things that are happening. Uh, then, you know, when everything's done, there's the filling of the plates, and it's like, you know, the running of the bulls, you know, where you get to, you got to get your plates, and you got to get all your stuff. And then you get all your stuff, and you sit down, and you enjoy the meal. Now, for us, you know, it wasn't about how quick you can eat. For us, the meal uh, was just a moment in time. It was something that was beautiful, and, and we'd take our time and we would cherish it. We would sit around those tables for hours. We'd laugh. The volume would get louder and louder and louder. We'd have some tense moments. How many of you have tense family moments sometimes around the meal? You know? What are the two things you're not supposed to be able to talk about in family time? Politics and what? Yeah, politics and Jesus, baby. Right? And inevitably, somebody get in an argument, but it wasn't bad. We still loved each other. And I remember we'd have the meal, and it'd be there for hours, and eventually we'd get up, and, and we'd hug, and we'd kiss, and we'd wait until the next time. There was something, bless you. <laughs> Familia. You're part of the family, right? Um, there's something powerful about breaking bread with each other, something intimate about sharing an evening. Now, you and I understand this, but Jesus... He was the master at this. He was. He understood the power of intimacy that you can only achieve when you break bread together. In fact, back in Jesus' day, that meal, the evening meal, was one of the most intimate things that families could enjoy together. And you didn't just invite anybody to that meal. You made sure that those people were your people or they could help you to become who you wanted to be. You had to make sure they were the right people. You had to make sure that these people helped you with your status. What made Jesus amazing, one of the amazing things about him was, Jesus, even when he ate, he messed with people's minds. Even when he ate, he broke the mold. He, he shattered all the, all the expectations of the day. He did. When you look at how Jesus ate and how he shared meals with people, you can see purpose in everything that he did. So today, I want to look at two things that we can uh, glean from how Jesus ate. Isn't that weird? Have you ever heard anybody talk about gleaning things about how Jesus ate food? Two things today that we can learn from God and how he ate. First is this, through the meal, Jesus loved the different. The second part is Jesus loved to take people deeper through food. He did. So what does it mean that Jesus loved the different? If you've got your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 19 real quick. It's a beautiful story. And trust me, all these people here, they're not just statues. This is not the Last Supper. Amory is not Jesus Christ. I just want to get that off the table in case you were wondering. <laughs> Neil's like, thank the Lord. <laughs> the beautiful story of Jesus connecting the different. Luke 19 verse 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector of the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Kind of like somebody I know. Chef Tony. That's all I'm going to say. Says, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. 
When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, this is a very intimate, powerful thing. Jesus feels the need in Zacchaeus' heart, has a plan for Zacchaeus, and invites him. How many of you know that Jesus invites all of us to the table? He does. Look at verse 6. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. How many of you know every once in a while the people are displeased? You know? By the way, we are the people. Have you ever done something and the people around you were displeased? If you haven't, do me a favor. Pastor a church and you'll know that feeling intimately. <laughs> Pastor, why did we go from two-ply to three-ply in the bathroom? I am displeased. It's part of human nature. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, hearing this stuff, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What a beautiful story. Centered around Jesus, inviting somebody to, or going to somebody's house to eat that he shouldn't be even caught dead with there. We see Jesus bringing people that others thought he shouldn't be, the wrong crowd, connecting with people. Why did Jesus do this? Why didn't he just stay with his own people? Why didn't he just groove with his own crowd? He did it to show people a different way, a better way. He understood this, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Jesus came for the world. Not just for a select few people, not just for the right people. He came for everybody. So as believers, beloved, it's not God's heart for us to isolate from people that God loves. What do we do sometimes? Once we, we become Christians, we create our own little Christian subculture. We have our own music. Amy Grant. El Shaddai, and that's a great song. We have our own, we used to have our own amusement parks, our own theme parks, right? Our own stuff. We could stay in our little bubble all day long, and it's great, except Jesus didn't call us to live in a bubble. He said that we're supposed to live in the world, just we're not of the world. Now, again, our music isn't bad, all that stuff's good. But if we isolate ourselves and we never see anybody different than us, then how could we ever accomplish our mission? What did God call us to do? Go into all the world and make disciples of everybody. You can't do that if you never see anybody that doesn't know Christ. You can't do that if you hide from a world that needs you. In fact, when you talk about sharing your lives, it's one of our big three here at Trinity. We love God and people extravagantly. That's easy to do, man. You know, I love you, Jesus. We worship. Yes, Lord. I love you extravagantly. What does that mean? We just go a little bit across. We go the extra mile. And then we're committed to growing in our faith and helping somebody else to grow. All of us want to grow. I'm here to help you grow. But that last one sometimes can be tricky. We're committed to sharing our life and our faith with others. How many of you know sharing your faith with other believers isn't sharing your faith? They already know. They do. That's like, you know, selling Amway to somebody that sells Amway. That's like, you know, going to Chick-fil-A 
and selling Chick-fil-A to somebody that already has Chick-fil-A. Now, that's actually pretty good because I would have double Chick-fil-A because it is beautiful, right? We're called to sharing our faith, entering the worlds of those that don't know Christ. How many of you in this room came to faith by somebody that knew Christ and you didn't? This is a trick question. Every hand should be up. <laughs> How many of you came to Christ because somebody invited you to know God and you didn't know them? They weren't like anybody to you. You know, maybe they invited you out. Maybe they did something just to invite you in. And because of that connection, you became a fully devoted follower of Christ. I've told you my story. I'm here today because of Chuck Ryan. Chuck Ryan was an offensive tackle on my football team. In 1987, he ended up going to Pitt, big guy, 6'4", 280 pounds. I was in 10th grade. He came up to me one day after practice. He goes, you, Harris. I go, yes, Mr. Chuck. He says, you're coming to youth group with me tonight. I said, okay. You know why I went to youth group with him? One, he was cool. Two, I didn't want him to rip my arms off. So I thought, I'm going to go to church with this guy tonight. So he took me to his youth group. I'd never seen anything like it. It just blew me away. Because of that encounter, I gave my heart to Christ. Because I was afraid he, I was going to die. <laughs> Whatever you got to do. No, I was kidding. So how did you know? Those of you sitting around the table, do you remember when you first came to faith? Did any of you come to faith maybe by uh, somebody inviting you that you didn't know? You know, you had a story or something like that? Did, did that ring a bell for any of you guys? Grab the mic, Daniel. I can remember when uh, my brothers and sisters, they, they were the first ones to get born again in my family. I was kind of like the black sheep of the family. And so it was this new pastor in town. Never forget, he was dead and gone now, but his name was George Hilton. And uh, he used to ask my brothers and sisters, well, is there any other members of your family that aren't saved yet? And they said, yes, Dan. I said, well, you know, invite Dan over, invite Dan over. So I would never go to the Sunday service because my life wasn't right. I was ashamed to go into church because I was living like a hellion. So I sneaked into the Wednesday night service where there was fewer people, and then after the service, I'll never forget this. He took me out to Denny's. The pastor himself took me out to Denny's, and it was the most, I mean, the conversation we had, I never, ever felt a part of anything more than I did that night. He made me feel like I was human. He made me feel like I belonged. He made me feel like it didn't matter what, how I was living or what was going on in my life that I could be a part of what Jesus was doing on that day. And I gave my life to Christ on that particular night. Beautiful. Any other stories? Anything you guys can remember here at the table? Anything like that? I understand that's a tough one to beat. Daniel put that, that, that bar pretty high. All of us have had those stories. And I would, I, let me just take this other stuff. Oh, we have no, there you go. Yeah, so I'll, I'll quickly share two stories. Oh, by the way, real quick, tell everybody, give me your first name, too. That's Dan. Malik, tell me who you are. Oh, it's Malik. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Malik, I stole your thunder. Sorry. All good. All good. So uh, when I was younger, growing up in Virginia, uh, I guess the first person that kind of had the, the gumption uh, to lead the family to Christ was my mom. She just scooped me and my sister up and dragged us into church every Sunday morning. I didn't really understand what was going on, uh, but the pastor and his wife were really awesome people. Uh, in hindsight, uh, I'm able to reflect. And I just remember one night vividly, uh, the pastor and his wife coming over my home, 
and it was just a hangout. Like, we weren't talking scriptures or anything, and literally, they took time to slow down their life and literally get to know me and just played some Nintendo Wii baseball with me, and I was, I was so confused after that night. I'm like, <laughs> like pastors do that? And uh, it was because of that experience that I started actually opening my heart a little bit more and paying attention to what was going on every Sunday morning in church, and uh, uh, very shortly after that led to me giving my life to Christ. Perfect. Anybody else? I can't see you guys very clear, so wave something. This is, um, this is beautiful, and this is, this is the model of Jesus for us. Uh, reaching across the table, inviting somebody. This is a couple, these are a couple other instances where Jesus did the same thing. Mark 2.15 says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Then the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, and they asked his disciples, why does he, does he, tax, does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? On hearing this, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Our model, bless you. Colossians 4 says this, live wisely among those that are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you'll have the right response for everybody. We're not called to be isolated from people. We're called to be interconnected, to love people and to let our faith live out in front of everybody. So what are some practical ways, I'm gonna ask you at the table since you guys got the mics, that we can live out our faith in front of people, that we can make people thirsty through hospitality. How many of you know that hospitality is a spiritual gift? It's a powerful gift. It is personally my favorite. You can keep all the others. I'll keep hospitality. What are some ways? Gail? Uh, I think that hospitality is more than just inviting people into your home. So hospitality is certainly something that I call can be on the go. And to give you an example, I love to swim. When I'm at the gym, I usually have a snack, some kind of fruit, something chopped up, but I always offer it. So we're after a swim, we're in the locker room, it's like, hey, anybody care for fruit? Because it's a great way to just start a dialogue and break down walls. So one time I was in the gym, doing my thing, you know, hey, you want some fruit? And there was a woman who was getting dressed. Now I will tell you, at this time, she had no clothes on. <laughs> so, but she, is t she mentioned something about um, her son who had committed suicide. And I could see her eyes welling up, and she is pouring out her soul. And I said, okay, I'm going to need you to lift your towel because I'm coming in. And I gave her a hug, and I said, can I pray with you? And she said, yes. And we in that locker room, I had clothes on, just so you know. Just, I, don't, I don't know if you're individual. I was fully dressed at this time. There's a towel between us, and I'm holding her, and I am praying for her, for her comfort and for her joy. But it was a, hospitality is not just something that has to be in your home. You can be hospitable wherever you are and in any circumstance. And you'll be surprised if you just look at someone and, and talk to them and really see them. They want that connection, and you can, you can do what Jesus would do, right? Just be there, listen, pray. Beautiful. And by the way, just to speak to Gail's hospitality, just yesterday at the well, 
I see Gail there, and she's eating a delicious plate of chicken nuggets, or what were they? The boneless bites. The boneless bites. And she goes, Pastor, would you like one? I go, yes. <laughs> she goes, do you want me to dip it in the sauce? And what did I say, Gail? Yes, and she did, and it was, and it was beautiful. So this, she's not making this up. This, and by the way, if you offer me food, the answer is yes. <laughs> Any, anybody else? What are some ways that we can, um, again, show, engage people through hospitality? Kelly. This is... Um a story of hospitality that was open to me that showed me so much. In, on New Year's Eve, 1995, I landed in Moscow. And that was just four years shy of the former Soviet Union being dissolved. So it was rather new for travel, people to come in freely and go. And I was part of a delegation that was bringing supplies to the country. And the supplies had flown ahead before us um, on a military transport, and uh, we were staying in a home. So we arrive at the airport New Year's Eve, and it's deserted. Um, and there's a lot of military presence around, but other than that, there's no people. It's dark, early in the wee hours of the morning. We are greeted by another delegation, and the women immediately encircle me, and they're all touching my clothes and looking at me, and I have no idea what is happening at this moment. I find out later the next morning that they were examining my clothing and knew that I would be freezing the entire time. They were having a true Russian winter, and so the next morning, miraculously, they had pulled from their closets and everything, and all this clothing was there for me to wear this outer clothing so that I would be warm, and I did appreciate that. I hate to be cold. Uh, but the family we were staying with when I got into their home, they gave us their bedroom. Their home was, their whole home would probably fit four times in my home that I currently live in. And I don't live in that big of a home. Hospitality. They opened their home. Um, and it was at the table in those moments, in those mornings where Victor and Vera spoke very little English. I spoke Niet, spasiba is all I learned, and spasiba <laughs> to say thank you and no thank you. <laughs> um, very little. And their son, Eugenie, I had my 12-year-old son there with along as well. But in those moments of breaking bread, we got to know each other and what they didn't know. Um, I remember going to Christmas Eve, Russian Orthodox Christmas falls on January 7th. So we went to a church, which was very new for them, to be able to go into churches. We had visited many churches that had been destroyed during the time of the Soviet Union, um, and we went to their church, standing room only, no pews, and we stood there together, and then we went home after about two hours of standing, and incense and a very different experience, we went to their home, and they immediately turned on the larger Moscow church that was having services, and they stayed up all night. I did not. I fell asleep. But that need to connect and that ability to connect and the fact that it was on television to connect with their faith. Um, and we talked the best we could talk at the table, and I just remember they would ask us our experiences because we were going places that they still weren't allowed to go, into orphanages and into hospitals to deliver our supplies. And uh, they said, what is it like? What do they look like? And 
it was hard to tell them that what I was seeing was, I felt like I was flashed back in time to 1940s America as I walked into the hospitals. It was so archaic. And so not up to the technology, and I wondered, it made me wonder about the medical care that they would get and all of the perceptions that I had learned in my growing up years about communist countries um, just were colliding in me. And I just remember Vera looking me in the face and going, she goes, in her broken English, we did not know. We did not know. And I'm sitting there, my heart echoing the same thing. I did not know either. I did not know the face behind the government of communism. That was all I was taught. And now I'm sitting with the people, the person, the lady, the woman, the sister in Christ at the table. Beautiful. So that's a good segue. Uh, hold your stories, guys. I'm going to give you another opportunity. Um, it's a good segue about what it means to love the different. Now, there's another beautiful story about Jesus, about how he engaged somebody that was different than him. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 4 real quick. It's a story that all of us uh, are familiar with. It's Jesus with the woman at the well. It says, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was going and gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, uh, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back uh, once more to Galilee. Verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Uh, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was tired uh, as, he, as he was from the journey, and he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, I'll, uh, get, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Let's flop down to verse 39. After this encounter, they have an encounter where Jesus talks to her about living water, water that's alive, and he starts to tell her about her life. And he just, he nails it. She goes back and she tells everybody in the village who Jesus is. And uh, verse 39 says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two more days. So some of you, how many of you have had dinner guests that stayed a little longer than they should have? <laughs> two days may be the record. I don't know, right? So here we have this beautiful story of Jesus reaching out to a people group that's different than his. Now, not just a different people group, but an enemy people group, one that was despised by the Jews. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were disliked by the Jews so much, the Jews wouldn't even travel into another country. So for Jesus to go into Samaria, Samaria was just incredible. Now, what's interesting is the Jews, again, had so much disdain for this people that they forgot that even the Samaritans were made in God's image. Sometimes, beloved, we forget that our enemies are also made in the image of God. And they're human. Divine breath is in their lungs just like divine breath is in your lungs. In fact, I think I read somewhere that our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Vaguely, I remember reading it somewhere. It's in the Bible. Sometimes we forget. Those people that are different than us are made in the image of God. So this woman that Jesus encountered at the well was still a person that needed to experience faith even though she was different. 
There is a great benefit in reaching across the table. There's a beauty in reaching across the table and connecting with somebody that's different than us. Let me introduce you to somebody this morning. Uh, you can go to the next slide. This is Nate Martin. Uh, Nate Martin is a part of our church in Illinois about 150 years ago, it seems like now. Uh, I'd known Nate. I'd been in the church about two years. Nate was one of our elders. Beautiful man, him and his wife. His wife was on staff. He was just one of those guys that when you saw Nate, you saw Jesus. He was strong, stable. You can anchor yourself to a guy like Nate. And I remember as I was just doing something one day, I was praying. I felt the Holy Spirit prick my heart and say, TJ, I want you to get to know Nate. I was like, Lord, I know Nate. I see Nate every week. We high five. We talk about he was a Cleveland Browns fan. I don't know why. And I'm a Steelers fan. Actually, he, he jumped onto the Ravens boat. Isn't that funny? Hello. <laughs> right? um, so I was like, Lord, I don't even know where to start. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me, take him to dinner. Take him out to dinner. I said, okay. So I went up to Nate one day. I said, Nate, I said, uh, I, said I just feel like I'd like to kind of get to know you a little bit better. I said, can I take you to dinner? And he goes, yes. I said, great. I said, what do you like to eat? And he goes, steak. I went, huh. You know, I'm a, I don't make that much money. But if you want steak, we'll go to the finest steak place we had in town, the Golden Corral. You're welcome. So I still remember the first night we went and we had dinner together. Uh, we sat there and I, we talked about everything I'd thought that we had in common. We talked about the Steelers and football and we talked about kids and we talked about this and we talked about that. And then there wasn't much left to talk about. So we just kind of looked at each other and I'd go up and get more shrimp from the buffet and all the other stuff. And, um, and it was great. And I said, well, that's cool. So I, I had the dinner, it was done. I said, okay, Lord, did that, you know, done that, checked it off, you know, got the t-shirt, that's great. It felt like God said, I want you to, to meet with him every month. I said, but Lord, what are we going to talk about? He goes, don't worry, I'll take care of that. So I called Nate again. I said, Nate, I had such a good time, which I really didn't. I said, why don't we get together again? He goes, sure, sure, sure. Uh, you like steak again, right? Right. I paid for it. Went out and went to the Golden Corral again. And next month, and we talked about football, kids, blah, blah, blah. This time, instead of running out the things and saying like 20 minutes, it was more like 23 minutes. And we sat there and just looked at each other. It wasn't until the third month we sat together that I started to get to know Nate, and he started to get to know me. He started to share with me stories of what it was like for him to grow up in New Jersey, how he got saved, um, his struggles. I started to share with him how I got saved, my struggles. Now, again, you guys need to know something about us as pastors. Just first, I don't know if you know this or not, pastors are weird. We are, trust me. Because, you know, it, it, we, we have to lead a flock and be real, but we also ha we're not really allowed to be real sometimes. They taught me in school that you need to be separate from the people. Because if you're close to the people, the people, the sheep will devour you. That's just what they teach you. So it's hard for us to be real with people. I remember after that third night, I felt for like the first time ever, I was real with somebody that was outside of being a pastor. So then we met um, that fourth month, and it was beautiful. Little by little, uh, Nate started to uh, pour into me in a way that I had not had anybody pour into me since Frank Porcelli did back in Southeastern College, who was my first spiritual father. Nate became a spiritual father to me. He's walked with me for a long, long time, and he's walked with me through some of the most difficult times in my life. And what's interesting is this. If you were to look at us, you know, we're, we're, we're different people, different ages. We come from different backgrounds. But how many of you know different is just on the outside sometimes? God has bigger plans than we do. 
All of that came from taking somebody out to Golden Corral and eating. Sometimes I think we, we forget, we lose blessing because we're afraid to step out of our comfort zones to see something different. You panel, have you ever had an encounter with somebody that was different than you that ended up being very, very close to you? Grace. Hi, everyone. I'm Grace. Um, so I met a guy in college who uh, was part of a um, group with me, and everything about him rubbed me the wrong way. He uh, smelled like, you know, when you go into the shopping mall and you pass like Abercrombie and Fitch, he smelled like the store. <laughs> um, he dressed like the store. He drove this little red car that had green lights at the bottom and like a subwoofer in the back. And um, it was really tricked out, and I thought it was so obnoxious. And um, yeah, I, I didn't like anything from the way he looked to his swagger to his reputation. And I chalked him up as, I think he's a fake Christian. I think he's just here to pick up girls. Um, and everything about me rubbed him the wrong way. He thought I was uppity, and uh, he thought I was intolerant. So um, things, things were not, like we just avoided each other. And um, then one summer we had to go on like a student leadership retreat. And lo and behold, we got paired together for an exercise. And this exercise was, you know, share your coming to faith story. And I'm like, I got this in the bag. I grew up in church, I'm a church girl, I know I'm saved. So I told this very vanilla story of how I got saved going to church with my parents. And I'm like, bam, there you go, your turn. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, well, my story's a little different. And he proceeded to tell me this very raw and very vulnerable story of how he had made um, all these mistakes, which led to him really knowing that Jesus was the one for him. And I'm sitting there going like, you're not allowed to say things like this because I had you pegged as this person who was fake. Um, and after that, I realized, wow, I had judged him so harshly. Uh, you know, and uh, we eventually warmed up to each other, and we became friends. Um, only after we realized, you know, um, our assumptions hurt the other, and um, we actually had more to gain uh, from a friendship if we didn't correct each other all the time. Um, and you know what? It worked out really well. We're going to be married for 12 years. <laughs> so you never know. There, there is a blessing when you embrace difference. He, he dropped the Abercrombie. <laughs> All right. Good one, Ryan. Good one. That's right. Any other stories? You're going to encounter somebody that's different than you that ended up being very close to you? Um, so... I was born in Zambia, grew up in Congo, and I moved to the U.S. like a few years ago, like I think six or seven. So uh, for me, the most different person that I've ever met was the first friend I made when I moved here. So he was a white male. There are not many white people where I'm from, so he was, <laughs> he was white male and atheist and bisexual. So I was... I, everything about him was like the total opposite of what I've grown up around or known about. Just the concept of not believing in God or a higher power, period, was just like, wow, you know what I mean, in my brain. So um, he was one of the, 
he was one of the kindest people that I ever met. He always greeted me, always said hi, and all that stuff, and that was how we became friends. We met in a choir, and he became one of my best friends. He showed me around uh, like the US, and every single time I asked questions that didn't sound, that were, I feel like, would sound dumb to some people. You know, he was there and kind of guiding me through the culture transition and uh, all that stuff. So I really do appreciate him and uh, that situation. That was a moment where I felt like, oh, like you, anyone is kind. It doesn't really matter. You can look scary and all that stuff. But many people who look intimidating actually want you to you know, talk to them. They want to connect with somebody who's different from them. And it's not always a situation of kind of like fighting to have the right point of view or anything like that. It's kind of like respecting each other's point of views and hearing the other person's side. So I tried to drag him to a few church events too. So I feel like that I made, I made something happen if at least just to expose him to uh, my uh, religion and all that stuff. So, yeah. Beautiful. Any other stories at all? Yeah. Um, I, during my time at um, Urban Promise, I was a part of this moms group, and there were a lot of single mothers there. Um, and yeah, just this like really positive community. Um, and I like don't have any kids, and I was a lot younger than them. Um, but the Lord just really stirred me. To, yeah, just really prompted me to join this group. And um, we lost contact um, for several years. This mom's group has stopped, and, um, and this was about like four years ago. But um, one of the mothers, she actually called me. It was last January out of the blue. And, um, and again, just very different backgrounds. But um, she reached out to me because she felt like um, she wanted to change her life around, and she um, thought that I was like her only like Christian friend. So she said, you know, Christina, I want to, like, um, I really want, like, accountability every week. And um, it's just like a hit or miss, you know, even for myself, accountability is just hit or miss. Um, but, yeah, she just happened to call me like, every Friday for, like, a year. We're just, like, talking. And um, by the end of it, I'm just always kind of feeling, um, like, not, like, just, like, not, like, worthy of just being able to, like, hear, like, un like learn her struggles. And we found out we had similar struggles. And... Um, it was just kind of like a mind-blowing like relationship for me because in my mind I'm thinking like I, I feel like I have nothing to offer to you. I have like nothing. Like, I don't understand what you're going through. Um, and so finally like, we had dinner a couple months ago, and I finally asked her like, like why do you want to hang out with me? I I, I just feel like you know we're just so different. And um, and it was just cool. She just shared that you know she really feels like even though I'm so different from her. Um, I'm just willing to like listen and um, and even just be open and vulnerable with her about where I'm struggling, and that's something that really drew, um, yeah, just made this relationship work. So, yeah, she's um, someone I've just really become close to, and um, yeah, it was just I never would have expected it, but beautiful. Anybody else? All right, um, let me ask you guys a question. What do you think are some of the things that keep us apart? What are some things that, you know, that, that, that keep us on our side of the table? Miss Gail, grab that mic. Go ahead. <laughs> get it, get it. That's why you I think uh, fear more than anything else. Fear of the unknown. Fear. Oh. <laughs> now it works, of course. That's good. But I think fear of the unknown. Um, 
in the gym. I know, it seems like my life is a gym, right? But I'm in the sauna one time, and there's a gap. <laughs> Gail, I'm noticing a theme. I know, there's right? a theme happening right, right now. So <laughs> there is a gentleman in there, and I see him coming in, and I'm thinking, oh, no, seriously. Like, I don't say anything, but this is my thought. And he is, like, tattooed up. Like, his chest is covered. He's got sleeves on both his arms. He has something on his back. And I am, like, my mind is already sliced and diced and judged him. And, you know, so he comes in. I just do the nod. Like, yeah, I acknowledge you're here, and I just hope you don't talk is really what I'm thinking. <laughs> and so somebody else enters, and they start talking. I'm just sitting there in silence. And he started talking about, uh, a missionary trip he's going on. And I felt this big. I had prejudged everything just based upon what I saw and what I interpreted that to mean. And I didn't expose myself or make myself vulnerable or want to talk because I thought, oh, I know who you are. This is going to go nowhere. When he started talking, and we had a really joyful conversation, never guessed in a million years we'd be talking about the Lord in a sauna, and he'd be the person who, who prompted that conversation. So I had to really take an introspective look at me. Like, what am I afraid of? Like, I'm not afraid of a lot of things that when it comes to people. Like, people tell, my kids tell me, like, stop talking to strangers. But, you know, in that particular case, I have really not only judged, but se severely misjudged someone just based upon how they look. Beautiful. So I think fear and difference keeps us apart in ways that it shouldn't. A major component, but also, socioeconomic status, um, how we see ourselves, our perspectives towards others. Um, you know, I, I really think about the last, the lost, and the least, you know, because that's where I've come from, you know, being looked at and ostracized as someone that is not lovable, someone that is beyond God's reach, and then, uh, you know, just not having the compassion that Jesus has or the willingness to, to step into it. I'm gonna tell you a story. Uh, I was newly saved, but not in the church. Newly saved, but not in the church. And I was still hanging out with some of my old friends. Never forget this as long as I live. Some little black lady, don't even remember her name. She was in the hood, because that's where I lived. And she came up to me and prophesied to me my future boldly declared to me and like stood there while I was in tears crying my eyes out and it was because of that lady like I've had so many different encounters in my life that God has just stepped in because people have the boldness to come to where I was because I was not in the church let me say that right the boldness to speak to me and declare what God's uh, God's plan was for my, for my life. So I really think that we really need to have the heart of Jesus. We really need to be able to see beyond barriers, cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, and all of those other things that we keep in front of us to say, that's not for me. And it is. I'm just going to follow that up with a quick story about being seen. Um, as a school teacher in 2003, I had an alternative class, 
And Alt-Ed Alt back then was a self-contained room with children who had behavior issues, but they didn't have IEPs. So it was a very niche. And basically it was to isolate them away because they couldn't control themselves in the larger setting. And so I had a group, I call this our little merry men. Um, there were four little ones, you know, ages from grades, kindergarten through second grade. And there we were. Um, and every morning I would start us with, especially Monday mornings, because Mondays were tough. And we would sit in a circle. And this morning, they were just, one of the little guys was particularly, just looked disheveled and a mess. And I'm just like, what's going on this morning? You know, how was your weekend? Oh, man, I am so tired this weekend, Miss Lumpkin. I didn't get much sleep. I said, well, what happened? Big question. Um, he said, well, he goes, last night, he goes, I was with my family, we were in the car, and we were driving, and the bad men stopped us, and they took my dad away, but it's okay, you know, my mom told us to run, and we knew where to run, and we knew where to hide, and I'm like, going like, oh my gosh, what in the world is happening? So I, I just asked him, I said, well, well, where did you hide? And they told me where they hid, and they knew how to go, and then the other little little ones around the circle started sharing similar stories. And I just had this gut, like, oh my gosh. And I looked at him and I was like, you guys know exactly what to do in these scary moments in your neighborhood. And yet every day, and I can tell you, if I came to your neighborhood, I would have no idea. And they're like, we got you. We got you, Miss Lovkin. <laughs> you come, we got your back. And they meant it. And it was a transformational moment because I realized for the first time that they had so much to teach me and their skills made so much sense. And this was back before I knew everything that I know now about the brain science. God was spoon feeding me then to see the gifts, the adaptations, the way these children and why they had the skills they had. And if I couldn't see them, I would never be able to speak into their life to help them now learn skills for this setting. And it was transformational. And they taught me so much. And from that point forward, they trusted me enough to be able to say, I got you here. I can teach you here. And it became our motto. So. That's beautiful. Anything else? Let's keep going. Um, sometimes we forget that we are, are cut from the same, the same cloth. Galatians 3.26 says this. For you're all children of God through faith. In Christ Jesus. And all of you have been united with Christ in baptism. Put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. So Jesus modeled that for us. He bridged the difference. He spanned the gap. The second thing he did, and we're going to hit this real quick, is this. Jesus, through his hospitality, took people deeper. I don't think you see a better example of this than the story of Jesus in the Last Supper. Luke twenty two fourteen says this, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I won't eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. We see in this passage, in this story, the depth of Jesus' intimacy and his love for his disciples. Uh, you can't help when you read the story uh, to almost be like, you know, you're there with them to experience this intimacy. And you cannot help when you share meals to start to become intimate with the people that you eat with. You just can't help it. 
whether it's somebody at work and, and, or whether it's somebody in your family. Now, when I say the word intimate, sometimes y'all get freaked out. You're like, well, you're talking about, you know, marriage and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. Intimacy is more than just a husband and a wife thing. Intimacy, uh, intimacy means that you, you start to share parts of who you are with other people and they feel safe enough to do the same thing with you. By the way, intimacy is a gift. Don't treat lightly when people decide to share parts of who they are with you. Does that make sense? It's a powerful gift. It's your heart. Um, intimacy, having a meal with friends, is more than just disseminating information. It's the sharing of our lives with each other. Think back to all those intimate times of fellowship that you've uh, encountered and encouraged. Have you ever experienced intimacy in a way that, you know, when, when things get rough, and how many of you know in life some, it always gets rough sometimes? All of us are a phone call away from your life changing. All of you are a car ride away. I want to hear something nuts. This morning, I witnessed something that was almost tragic. A car, like, almost hit a tree in our parking lot. <laughs> she was going a mile and a half an hour. <laughs> she stopped, and everybody's, everybody's fine. We're a moment away from having your life changed. Do you know that? A moment. Have you ever had somebody, because of your intimate connections... Be there for you to help you to see something, to help to give you the strength that you needed to get through that bump, that thing that you've needed. Any stories of that here? Can you remember any intimate moments? Flight um, from South Africa, um, coming back to the States. Um, and I was, I, I hate flying. And I fly a lot. Or I used to fly a lot. And I just hate flying. I really, I get super nervous in the weirdest way. So I'm on this flight, um, and this gentleman sits next to me, and uh, he, as usual, just sort of, what's your name, where are you from, normal discussion. And uh, I start telling him a little bit about where I'm from, uh, and, and I randomly start talking about Nadia. So this is before the flight gets, gets off the ground. So we're talking, chatting, things like that, and the next thing I look over to him, and he's got like tears in his eyes. And I'm like, I wonder why this guy's crying. And I go, you okay? Like, what's wrong? Because I've never heard anybody speak about their wife the way you speak about yours, you know? And I'm just like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I just got divorced. And my wife is sort of broken, and it's this sad situation, you know? Um, and I lean over to him, and he leans over to me, and he says to me, are you a believer? And I'm like, yes, I'm a believer. And he goes, well, me too, so I, can I pray for you? And uh, I go, sure. And he's like, well, what do you need me to pray for you? So we're still sitting on the tarmac. We haven't even lifted off yet. And, he, and I go, well, I'm actually afraid of flying. And he goes, well, I can pray for that because I used to be afraid of flying. And, and he goes, I imagine when I fly, I remember, or he literally said, I feel like I get closer to God. So I just made a shift in my head that as I'm flying and I'm going higher, I'm getting closer to God, and I imagine like God's holding me in his hands and protecting me and keeping me safe. And then that moment before we even lifted off, we are holding hands. My, literally, you can see the people around us. It's like the weirdest thing. <laughs> my, my black African friend from Ghana, right? And me praying for each other about being afraid of flying and me praying for his marriage. And then we enjoyed chicken masala. Yich, nasty. Sat there, had this beautiful meal. We spoke for seven hours nonstop about everything under the sun. You can't imagine and the encouragement that I gave to him about marriage and what marriage could be like, 
And then a couple of years ago, he calls me, and he's now one of my close friends, and he calls me and he goes, I'm getting married, but I'm getting married. You need to pray for me, right? So God brings that intimate moment, hanging together with a guy that I don't know from nothing, healing me and helping me, and also me helping him and healing him. Just a beautiful thing. Beautiful. That's a g- <laughs> what a great story. You know, intimacy was one of the marks of the early church. So how does intimacy, how do deep relationships help us to be better believers? Any ideas, those of you at the table? What is it about the closeness that helps you to be a better believer? To be one that finishes the race? I'm going to speak again. (laughs) Um, As you know, we came from South Africa, and when we uh, arrived here, we were very alone at the beginning, looking for a church. And some of you know the story, driving down the street, literally me and Nadia on the car together, sort of praying, like, God, show us a sign. We need to find a church. We need to find people like us. We, we were here for months and literally felt like, not to be funny, something's wrong with America because we didn't see families intimate. We didn't see generational blessing. We didn't meet any families where you're like, wow, there's a family of believers the way we grew up where grandpa and grandma's believers and the family and the kids are believers. And I'm like, God, what's wrong with this church? And so we, God give us a sign, and no jokes, literally as we get to the intersection, there's a sign, turn left, Trinity Community Church. And we're like, okay, turn left, <laughs> the immediate left turn, uh, and greet her at the door by the Kiva family. Um, and uh, within probably a week, we were in their house, and I go, bingo, there's a family that does it the way we want to do it that loves, that has generational blessing, no, no missing connections, no lost kids, no, this part doesn't get along with that part, you know? And it was just such a beautiful thing to see that, and it just woke us up in a way where we're like, okay, we belong here. Feeling as an odd one out in a country, we belong here. Uh, and a couple of months later, just coincidentally, as it would work out, they invited us to spend Christmas with them, and our parents arrived from South Africa Christmas Eve, and met us at their house, which was this beautiful thing. And all of a sudden, there's their family, generationally blessed, generationally following and chasing God with everything they got. And my parents arrive, and there's the same thing, our family, generationally chasing God and being together. So that just encouraged us in such a special way. Beautiful. Um, Yeah, Christina? Um, I have a... uh, I became really close to... um, my friend, I won't throw her name out there, Latoya, um, through playing flag football with her for about four or five years. And um, her and we just had like, great conversations about the Lord. And just I feel like every time I talk to her, I'm just reminded of what God's done for me in my life, how faithful he's been. And, um, but I guess just like walking alongside of her in this particular area of my life, um, I just remember I would... Like, the first two or three years we played, she would bring a small whiteboard to every game, and she would write, like, Romans, like, a random Bible verse, and have these cards lying on the sideline. And in my mind, I was thinking, that is so bold. Oh, my goodness. And she would just um, at, she would just get to know all the players and just people in that league, and she would, um, as we get to know them, hear their stories, she would offer to pray for them. And that just, like, challenged me so much in my faith, and... Um, prompted me to want to do that alongside of her. So, um, yeah, she's been kind of neat. I feel like she's become like my ministry and uh, partner in ministry, like on the field. Um, but yeah, it challenges me a lot. Beautiful. Um, 
intimacy in the life of a believer is important. You know, the Bible talks about the early church. Actually, it says this in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Don't underestimate the power of breaking bread. It's a powerful thing. Intimacy begins with um, taking a chance, sharing your life, sharing your time with somebody. It's that important. Asking somebody to coffee. Those are the doors that, that lead you to deeper things. They are. you got to take a step. So this morning, and I know we're a little bit late, but we'll, be, we'll live. Nobody's going to die. There's no Eagles game. There's no Steelers game for a long time, actually. Uh, we're going to take communion together. So those of you that are at home, this will be a time to get your communion elements. If you didn't grab a communion element, go ahead and grab one off the back table. We're going to take communion together, then we're going to head out of here. I'll let you get your elements. If, um, hey, Jeremy, can you grab me an element too, please, brother? Thank you. Oh, I got one, Jeremy. Thank you. Take me about 10 minutes to get this little wafer out of the top. I don't know whoever designed this. They are not, like, human-friendly. So everybody get your element real quick. And um, before we take communion together, I have a, um, I got two things that I want to do. I have a question and I have a charge. Here's the question. Does your faith include fellowship and intimacy with others? We have this little thing, and it's a little pet peeve of mine. We always talk about our personal relationship with Christ. And sometimes we use that as a cop-out to stay connected to people. I know we all have our personal understanding of who Christ is, but you were never created to live your life alone. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. That doesn't exist. We were created to be together. We're better together than we are apart. So does your faith have built in it fellowship, intimacy with other people. Second, here's your charge. Invite somebody different than you to a meal or coffee over the next two weeks. Step across the table, get to know somebody, get out of your comfort zone. What's the worst that could happen? You're probably not gonna die. You might if you're allergic to shrimp <laughs> and you, you don't know what's in there. You're probably not gonna die. Beloved, more than ever, this is a time for us to step out and to be the church. Jesus said this, he said, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. It's not common, this is not common, but our world needs it desperately. First Corinthians eleven twenty three says this, for I received from the Lord what I also pass along to you. For Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for creating us extravagantly different. We thank you, Lord God, for bridges that bring us together 
And Father, we thank you for all the things that you're doing in our midst. Give us what we need, Lord God, the tools, the gifts, the desires to be one. We want to be a perfect reflection of your heart. We love you in your name. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to invite the ministry teams to join us. If you need prayer, come and get prayer, get coffee, get some cookies, get to know somebody. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at worship. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.